This episode of After the Whistle contains profanity. Listener discretion advised. Please enjoy. All right, let's get the show on the road, episode 98. And uh, Glenn Healy going to join us today. And I look forward to talking to Glenn, a guy that wore a lot of different hats around the game of hockey. Number one, he was a goalie. Uh, we'll talk to him about his career. Number two, he did. He was a great one of the greatest TV analysts um, in hockey history. Okay, better than the, yep. the than the slop they got now around the league. Hundred percent. Like, <laughs> like I, I don't even want to go down the side. I just. Don't go down that side. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to keep going. Um, All I know is that it, it, to, to watch right now and what they have on there, to watch, it, it's it's not good. It's There's no talent. <laughs> How about that? Like, there's just no talent. Anyway, so then he, and then he was awesome with the uh, Players Association. I don't know if you remember. He was a part of the NHLPA. One of the, part, one of the big guys. And everyone, as, as a everyone player. loved him. As a player, he was extremely involved with uh, a lot of those, uh, you know, meetings when uh, we brought all the the player reps together. He was very informative, very, and very then, up on. But he also, he was a, a mem- member of the executive board. He worked for the PA for a few years, and then I think he went back into TV. And now he is the head of the NHL alumni, and uh, he is all for... You know, the players always has been. A, he's been a players guy the whole way through. So uh, looking forward to having him on. He's just got an unbelievable personality. So yep. uh, looking forward to having Glenn Healy on. So, so stick around for that. A um, few housekeeping uh, items I got to get through right now, by the way. Unbelievable text messages last night going on. And we've got a treat for everybody on Thursday. Um, we have somebody that's in the process of buying a microphone is going to join the show. <laughs> Is gonna join the show after a well, lot. Tell of the sh- people who had a lot of shit talking going is. on in that group chat. Thomas Vanek, thanks for listening, Van. We know you're listening right now, Van. Like right this second, right now, Thomas Vanek is listening. So we love it. Appreciate yep. it, Vanner. So Vanner's gonna join us with uh, Geo on, uh, and we'll read some of the, <laughs> we'll read some of those text messages. Uh, that we discussed last night and in the past. Um, quickly, quickly, quickly. Uh, again, we owe another apology to the same people. Okay. Um, who are we apologizing to now? Who was the last person? Who are the last group of people that we apologize to publicly? I don't know. I feel like I'm apologizing all the time. The Rochester Americans are on to the second round. Against Utica. Okay. We ruled them out with a couple games left in the season and they just advanced and they're heading on to uh, the second round of the playoffs. So they beat out Belleville. Correct. And Belleville it was a two was... out of three and they won two games. Okay. So Belleville, were they not one of the, one of the top teams? Couldn't tell you. Be honest yeah, with you. We're, we're, we're doing our, or, or due well, diligence on uh, the minors. Eh? Okay, I mean, how many major league baseball podcasts cover the minors? Like, I mean, come on, how? Like, I mean, that's like, you know, I think your head's getting too big. Fucking you just right think you're is. you you think you're big time. Yes, yes. I'll talk about those guys when they're in the NHL. <laughs> when they're in the NHL. Sorry, it's just the way it goes. Okay. 
You know, so this is a Chell podcast, not uh, don't ever, some... don't ever say the word Chell. Why? Because it's that's just... the lingo of uh, the boys today. Half the half the people that are that are listening to the podcast doesn't uh, mean I want our age demographics are uh, using the word Chell. No. Well, that's because we are just Selly. A... I know that's you know what Riv it's funny you say that hockey hockey literally has its own lingo it has its own it has its own language really you know like when you talk about it just the the like the I don't know if it has its own lingo I think it's for only a small percentage of hockey players that actually talk like that that's just my that's that's my thinking, or maybe I'm just completely the 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 biggest dinosaur of all time. But are, are we actually talking about clappers and sellies and playing in the chill? One T's, one T. What, what, no, what, who, who talks like that? I've never ever been around a player. I've never been around a hockey player, and it's a stereotype, you know, language lingo. I've never been around someone like that. Sick mitts, man. Sick dangle. Unreal Sally, eh? Never been around a hockey player that talks like that. And for some reason, that seems to be uh, the, uh, you know, I don't know hockey I feel, players I feel are like my generation of players. Interpreted. Did. I feel like, like my generation of player did do that. But okay. regardless. Um, so yes, apologies to the Rochester Americans and and good luck, I guess you know to uh, to the guys and they're playing Utica. I think they're one of the better teams in the league. But uh, so yeah, there's that. You know, it's well, good always for, good. good it's for always them. good. To, it's always good to be wrong and admit when you're wrong. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> Rochester making the playoffs. I had they had three games left. I know that the Marlies. Toronto Marlies had five games left and it was the percentage of Rochester making the playoffs was extremely low. Okay. And I had already counted them out. I had already said on the podcast that, you know, they were out, but they were not out. It came down to the last game of the, of the year. Rochester Americans took care of business. I think they won their game. Seven or eight, one spanked the team that they needed to spank, and then it went back to the Marlies. And if the Marlies would have uh, won a game, they would have been in, and they ended up losing it. So, anyway, good for uh, good for the Rochester uh, group. You know, anytime you're in the playoffs, anytime you're battling um, through these series, it uh, it certainly is. Uh, you're putting something in your bucket and, uh, you know, good for them. I'll be, uh, I'm going to start to watch a little bit, uh, closer now that the, they're in the second round. Oh yeah. That, and you know what we call that in the world of sports? Yeah. Bandwagoners. Band, bandwagoner. Yeah. Okay. All right. As long as you're, uh, as long as you're okay with the title. Uh, so let's, uh, let's talk some hockey from last night because the Florida Panthers, you were in a full blown panic last night when we were on the phone and then all of a sudden they pull the goalie with three minutes left, three minutes left. Eh? That takes, that takes a lot of balls to pull that off. So credit to uh, Andrew Burnett for pulling the goalie with three minutes left. 
Yeah, unfortunately for me, uh, unable to watch that game last night, but got in my car and uh, drove home above the speed limit to try and get home so I could watch the overtime. Um, and as I walked in the door, they ended up scoring. So, uh, you know, Verstege, not Versteeg, Thomas Vanek, yes. Uh, Verstege, uh, you know, great Verhage. shot on Verhage, yeah, that guy. And uh, listen, I mean, big goal for them. Big goal for them. They lose that game. I think they lose the series. They win that game. Now they're 2 2. They have back to home ice advantage. And I believe that the Florida Panthers are, are strong. They are strong enough to win a Stanley Cup. They just need to put it together. They really need to put it together. They have all the ingredients to be successful. So Sam Ryan was a first, first playoff NHL goal last night. Yeah, he's been quiet too. And they, um, listen, I mean, Sam Reiner, this is the first time he's played in the playoffs. It's the first time he's had that feeling. I know that Sam Reinhardt and, and, and all the people in Buffalo, we, we knew how good of a hockey player Sam was, but he has not played in the playoffs, and the playoffs are a different animal. They're a different animal. Game gets elevated. You know, um, the pressure in every single game is elevated times 100 to what it was during the regular season. And Sam Reinhardt scored his first goal of the, of the series. And I'm sure that that took a lot of pressure off him. Yeah. You right think? Now, yeah. They're, they're going to need him. They're going to need to rely on him. There's already pressure on Barkov. We know that we know that there's pressure on Huberto. These guys are the driving force of that hockey team, but what makes Florida so exceptionally good is that they have that secondary scoring from whether it's from Duclair or Claude Giroux or Sam Reinhardt or, you know, Sam Bennett. And it just goes down the line. This is a really, really strong hockey team. And uh, 500, game, 532 games, regular season games he played. Before making the playoffs. Yeah. It's incredible. It's, uh, and there's nothing better. I mean, I love watching the playoffs. And, and I'll tell you this. When I, when I played, um, I, had a really, I, re, I had a really hard time watching the playoffs. When I had lost out, I knew it was one season put behind me that I couldn't win the ultimate prize. And it made me sick. I was angry. I didn't watch a lot of playoffs throughout my, throughout my NHL career because I was either in the playoffs or there was years that I, my team didn't make the playoffs and I didn't want to watch hockey. I didn't want to watch those other teams compete for the Stanley Cup. So now that I'm long removed from, from playing, I love watching the playoffs because I know how teams are preparing for an individual match with another team. How you dissect before the series, before the series starts, you know everything that you need to know about 
every single player on the other team. It's like on some teams I played on, I had packets. I had a packet that I had to basically study to know every single player, what their strengths, their weaknesses were, where you can get under their skin, who you could get under the skin of, who was taking, you know, more bad penalties, I guess you could say, you know, there's, you, you dissect the other team and you try and expose their weaknesses. And uh, it's, it's just so fun to be a part of it. It, it really is. It's, uh, I can't tell you the difference between a regular season game and a playoff game. Did you expect this series between Florida and Washington to be a sweep? Yes. You did, eh? Yes, I did. Uh, I, I, was, I was thinking more along the lines. Uh, deep down inside, I was hoping it's going to be a four. Um, but I was, I was thinking more along the lines that it would be, be done in five. So, I knew that Flor- uh, or Washington is a veteran-laden hockey team that has been in this situation for many, many, many years. They've won a Stanley Cup, um, and you know they're they're a dangerous team. It just it just baffles me still. And we had someone tweet us yesterday and ask. They say, "Do you think that the Capitals veterans that have been in this situation before are uh, a good reason as to why they're giving Florida a hard time?" And I. I, I don't know. I guess I just, I still have a, I believe in that theory. I just, I have a hard time wrapping my head around it. I don't know. I don't and, know how the can better you, Can team, you say again what I, I, again, I was in La La Land and I wasn't paying attention to you. Can you tell me what the. the you basically the, just asked if, if, if the Caps giving a hard time to the Panthers is due to the fact that the Capitals have a veteran team that yes. have had many players that have well won, but also been in the playoffs and been in this position before versus Florida. Yes. Yes. So, so let me, let me, let me do this. Alex Ovechkin won a cup. You've get, uh, you've getting connects off won a cup. John Carlson won a cup. Tom Wilson won a cup. Connor Sheary has won two Stanley Cups, but not on Washington with Pittsburgh. Then you look at Orloff, Ellers, Backstrom, and you just keep going down. Uh, Oshie, there has been a lot of players on this team that have won a Stanley Cup, okay? Now, is Nick Backstrom um, playing at an elite level like he was when he was 25, 27? No, he's not. He's not anywhere near it but he's still in a super dangerous player. And so is John Carlson and, and Ken Natsoff. And Alex Ovechkin's like, you know, what is he, 46, and he's still absolutely crushing bombs in his, in his office on, on the power play. Um, this, this is a team that I don't think should be anywhere near the depth and the skill level of the Florida Panthers. I think what the Florida Panthers are dealing with right now, and if I were to flip over to the other team, the other team in Florida, and then you start going down that team, and you're going to say, Barkoff not, <laughs> has not won a Stanley Cup, you know, Huberto, and just keep going down the whole thing. Once you get to the bottom, you're looking at Patrick Hornquist is the only guy that has won a Stanley Cup. Okay? Um, this is a team that is is navigating its way through the playoffs 
in this first round, not knowing what to expect, where Washington Capitals knows exactly what to expect. And that's the difference between the two teams. One has a little bit more calmness to their game, knowing what's, what's in front of them. And one is, has pressure because the, the Florida Panthers won the President's Trophy, best team in the National Hockey League, won 62 games this year. There is pressure on these players, and none of the players have won a Stanley Cup except for Patrick Hornquist. So let's flip over to the other Eastern Conference. Uh, whoops, the other Eastern Conference game that was on last night. Is that the same to be said for um, Pittsburgh uh, Rangers? Because yes, I, I didn't see this happening. How do you? How are the Penguins doing this? Like I, you know, like how the nobody I'm, in their I'm right gonna, mind would have ever thought that Pittsburgh would be up three to one in this series. Uh, there's okay, no I'm way. Say something. When do they age and die? I'm going to say something to you. And you're, you're going to look at me and you're going to say, you're going to call bullshit right away. Say, oh, listen to me. We all, we all gave our picks, okay? And everybody was so hung up on, on this powerful Rangers team, okay? With their goaltending and, you know, Adam Fox in the back end with all these young defensemen and the forwards. Deep down inside, I knew that the Pittsburgh Penguins would get it done. Because when you, I, I think the Pittsburgh is completely underrated with how great their lineup is from, from one to four in lines and their defense core. And the goaltending is, you know, they've lost their, they've lost their two top goaltenders and now they have, um, you know, their third string goaltender that has not, let's say, you know, solidified himself in the National Hockey League. I when you have Sidney Crosby, you've Genny Malkin, you know, you have an older Getzel, Rust. I mean, you just go through their lineup. You know, Jeff Carter is like a dinosaur. He's got to be 35, 36 years old, but he looks energized and he looks he looks like he's playing at at a top end level. It's incredible. The the veteran presence that Pittsburgh has right now. You go through their lineup, there's a large majority of those players have already won a Stanley Cup. They know what it takes. And I think that it means a lot. Means a lot in in uh in the playoffs. So I think it's I think it's insane. I just can't I just can't believe they're so good. Like uh do you know what uh Crosby's uh playoff points are right now? Nine. Nine. Four games, nine points. It's all right, eh? You know, and, and here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. I, I'm not going to go down a Crosby path, but well, I Go just, down a Crosby path. He deserves okay. it. The guy's okay, an good. absolute Well, legend. why don't we all go and stroke McDavid? Why don't we stroke Matthews? Why don't we stroke this guy, stroke that guy, because because Sidney Crosby's too old? This is the, the Hart Trophy is going to go to someone who is not the Hart Trophy winner. Because if you took Sidney Crosby off the Pittsburgh Penguins roster, number one, the series would have been a sweep, and number two, they wouldn't have made the playoffs. Period. End of story. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, respectfully rebuttal you because that is absolutely not the case, and I'm gonna tell you why. When Sidney Crosby, over the course of time in Pittsburgh, got injured, 
who stand up, who, who stood up and said, don't worry, I will take the whole fucking team and put them on my back. Malcolm, but he only played 41 yeah, games this year. Exactly. That's not, that's my point. My but point Crosby is, basically played the, almost the whole year without I Malkin. That. I understand that. But anytime Malkin was out, Crosby took the lead. Anytime Crosby was out, Malkin dominated. I mean, to a next level, took the lead. And when those two guys are in the lineup together, they are clearly one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. And, and let's just throw that old mutt bag who's playing on the third line, Jeff Carter. The guy's an absolute rock star, okay? He, is, he looks like he's a kid. He literally looks like he's a kid right now in the way that he's playing the game. He's producing points. He's, he's playing a certain role. He understands the role. It's, Pittsburgh is a very, very tough team right now. I'm loving Carter's hair, by the way. I don't think we've ever seen him with long hair like this. He's always been prim and proper with the short hair and everything. And now he's got like the, it's almost like he's in, I don't give a shit mode. I'm going to play out my last couple of years in the league. Well, looking he's got like Smith a, and missing his front teeth. He looks like a mutt bag. You know it, who it, else doesn't get any respect on this team? Let me think. Let me Let's think. go. We had the Norris trophies uh, announced yesterday. And it, I'm not saying this guy should win the Norris trophy, oh, but how about throw him a bone for know. six 68 points this season. Is that what he had this year? Yeah. Chris Letang had 68 points. Yeah, thanks for showing up. Come on. Yeah. Exactly. 68 points. Third on the team in scoring 78 games. 10 goals, 58 assists. You know, I think people are just bored. They're just bored of all these old guys that have been around and getting all the love for all these years. That Like, it's almost like they're... That's a true superstar. They're like we're talking a true force feeding us with all the young guys. And yeah, they're great. They're getting a hundred points and all the stuff. But, but I mean, you can't discredit what some of the veteran and old guys are doing in this league. Like look at Ovechkin. Like, are you kidding me? I mean, it's not just a product of where the game has gone because we, you don't see guys this age dominating the game. At least you haven't in years past, you know, the game passes them by and I think it's just the change of physicality, the change in pace. The game's a little more open. I mean, I think Listen, I think there's a lot more skilled players in the game than than ever before. Ever before. When I when I played a large majority of my um hockey from 1994, 95 season was my first year. Yes, I said 1994, 95. And when I finished in 2011, was starting to there, there, there was a big change in, in the younger players that were coming into the game. They were much more skilled. Um, and I look at my, my time, my 16 years that I played, the first line in the National Hockey League was exceptional. The Stevie Eisenmans, the Gretzkys, the Lemieux, you know, you just, the Ronicks, they were all on a, on a pedestal. They're all exceptionally good players. Okay. Then the second lines were still very skilled. Okay. The Brennan Shanahan's, the Vincent Donfuses. Then when you got to the third line, you got to a checking line. The third line in the National Hockey League, that was a checking line. 
Okay. They were great on draws. The centermen, the wingers were bigger, more physical, more nasty, um, did not produce a ton of points, but were defensively responsible. Fourth line were extremely highly aggressive hockey players. The Stu Grimson's, you know, the Joey Koshers, Bob Probert's, you know, and they were, they were scary. They were scary, but they had three, three to 10 points a year. You look at today's game, you look at today's game, Kyla Poso, for an example, and I, I'm not even going to say that Kyla Poso is on the fourth line because he's not on the fourth line, but he is considered, if you looked at the one, two, three, four lines in Buffalo, he's considered on a fourth line with Gergensen on the left wing and whoever they have at center. And Kyla Poso scored 20 goals this year and had 45 points. That's, that's I don't want to call that the fourth line because it probably wasn't. But what I'm trying to say is in the game today, the third and fourth lines are... Some of those players are insanely, exceptionally skilled, exceptionally skilled, so much faster, a lot less physical, um, and the game has changed. So your lines from one to four, there's so much more scoring now because the third and fourth lines can score. In today's game, the third line could be your best line on the ice in any given game. It's, it's, that's how good this league is right now. And it's enjoyable, beyond enjoyable to watch. So just going back, I mean, I wonder if that's why, you know, where this whole conversation started about veteran players and stuff like that with experience. I know Calgary won the game last night and, it, you know, the series is now 2-2, but I don't think anybody saw this game being tied after four games. And I just wonder, you know, like you look at Dallas. They were just in the cup a couple years ago, were they not? Did they not just lose the, in the finals to Tampa Bay a few years ago uh, in the bubble? I feel like they were in the bubble, but I know they were in the finals. I know I can't remember who they played, but I'm pretty sure it was Tampa. Anyway, I think it's the same scenario there because the person that tweeted at the show about the veterans and stuff they 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 mentioned Pittsburgh, they mentioned Washington, they mentioned Dallas, you know, and I you, you look yep. and you think. And, and then you go and you look at what the Islanders tried to do last year by bringing in Parise, Andy Green, Zdeno Chara, and there was one other old bag they brought in there too. Um, and anyway, and, and it completely backfires, and they fire the coach. You know what I mean? So you yeah. you wonder what the mix is to building a roster because the Sabres have a, a really young team. They need veteran players. Uh, they're super maybe, young. Maybe Kevin Adams thought about they need veteran players. Maybe Kevin Adams thinking that, you know, there's, there's like two groups here. You have a Alex Tuck, you have a Tage Thompson, you have all those guys that are 25 years old, but you also have a group of, of young players, Darlene, Yoki Haru, Power, Samuelson, Cousins, Krebs, Middlestat. These guys are all under the age of 22. So maybe Kevin Adams thinking is, my older guys are going to come from years of experience with this team and cousins or, or tuck and Thompson are going to be my older statesman in two, three years from now. Yeah. But I think the key to a veteran isn't years in the league. It's 
experience in the playoffs. And Alex Tuck brings that times 10 because he's been to the finals. I yep. think you need more guys like that. I'll tell you what you do need. You need more guys like our next guest. And uh, he's coming up. We'll bring him right into this conversation, you know, about, you know, the playoffs and veteran teams and stuff uh, because he won a Stanley Cup with the New York Rangers in 1993-94. And that's Glenn Healy. All right. Welcoming in our guest on episode 98, Glenn Healy. I, you know, Heels, I, uh, I, I, I said uh, when we first started the episode, Craig and I did a little recording before just talking about the playoffs a guy that wore many hats in the game of hockey. I mean, you have done it all from being a goalie on a Stanley Cup team uh, to, you know, the NHLPA involvement to TV uh, analysis, which, by the way, Craig and I both agree, there's nobody in the game now in terms of analysis that can touch uh, what you did uh, professionally. And uh, now, you know, heading up the uh, NHL alums. So, Obviously, uh, you're a popular man within the sport. But you didn't even pick, like, my best talent, which is bagpiping. Like, there, that's what we got to get in, you know. And well, are you, What are you talking about? Hey, yes. Oh, my gosh. Bullshit. <laughs> Can you play the bagpipes? Uh, yeah, for many, many, many years. Honestly, it's uh, – for years, I could, I could hide in beer tents, right? You know, you'd finish the competition. We played at the, the top level in the world. And I could hear people, you know how you can hear people talk about you and you're there and they're going like Zach Glenn Healy from the Maple Leafs and someone would say, no, no, he's he's too fat. He's too fat, that guy. <laughs> he's too short. I'd be like, it's me. Yeah, I am short and maybe a little chunky. But uh, no, I, hey, the bagpipe stuff. Yeah, we did Paul McCartney's concerts four or five times with Mullick and Tyre and Vimy Ridge, D-Day Beaches, Carnegie Hall, and anyways, yeah, so that's a hat you didn't put on me, but the hat I did wear when I played the NHL was like an... Who has time to learn how to play the bagpipes while playing goalie? You know what I mean? Like, When did you start to play the bagpipes? Well, my my dad fought in World War II, came over from Scotland, so the gig was this. You could stay in Scotland after the war, no job, no money, or come to Canada no job, and you got two pounds, which would be about four bucks to emigrate, to come to Canada. So they did. They came to Canada. And when they got to Canada, the, the immigration person said, all right, well, what, what do you do? Clearly, he hadn't done anything other than fight the war. And my dad said, well, what, what's available? Like, what do you have? Well, we, we need painters. But that's exactly what I did in Scotland. I was a painter. Painter. He hadn't painted a barn. He was like <laughs> useless. And, hey, there you go. Now he's got a job. And uh, so Scottish family, Scottish roots, of course, that would be the instrument of choice. And so wasn't really cool when you're in university, you know, you get a, here you are at a party and going to whip out a set of bagpipes. In college, bagpipes has a whole different meaning, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. You're going to blow on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know what, uh, later on when, you know, you've got some downtime and, uh, the NHL and, you know, you're kind of playing at the world level and you're having some fun with it. Then it was something where I looked back and I said, you know, it's pretty cool. So our leaf charter. Okay. So we're playing in the playoffs. Playoffs are on now. I have Corey Cross sitting beside me and Crosser had this war book about eight inches thick. 
and he would last three fucking pages and he'd be fast asleep. Okay. Then we got Curtis Joseph, who book was, was just for show, by the way, but go yeah. ahead. Right into him. Yeah, I got this big book and I'm smart. Uh, Crosser <laughs> never, I don't think he finished it. He, he still hasn't finished it. And then you have Curtis Joseph and he loved racehorses. And he would sit there and talk to me about, you know, if you take the semen from this horse and you combine it with this horse, you can get that horse. Okay. So there's, and then I'm playing this electronic chanter with the bagpipes. And I'm thinking, now I know why we haven't won a Stanley Cup. Look at this collection on one row. Seaman, a war book, and a guy playing the bagpipes. So it, uh, it all comes together now. It's clear as a bell. Here we go. Oh Anyways, God. you know what? We, uh, uh, 9-11, we played the first anniversary of, of uh, the memorial uh, Carnegie Hall was amazing. Vimy Ridge, amazing. Like to to be proud to be Canadian, to be the last band at Vimy to to walk into um, that battlefield and think, how the hell did we take this ridge? I, I have to this day can't believe that Canada did that. Uh, but like a really really proud moment. Uh, there was one moment in one of the uh, when we had a parade through one of the towns just outside of Vimy, a little town called Arras. And there was a lady, you know, again, you, you couldn't buy a drink if you're a Canadian. Like I had so many drinks, I couldn't drink a drink. And she was calling us up and we went up to her, her little apartment. And she was a five-year-old girl in that same window when the original Canadians came through for the victory parade and was giving me a pocket watch and a crystal clock. And I, I said, look, I didn't fight. Like I'm not a hundred years old. I just can play the bagpipes. So we're not taking your wares just we're proud to be part of this. So some great moments outside of the game of hockey. Which I, have I, I'm going to say this about the bagpipes, okay? Every time, and you don't hear them all the time, but I mean, just the most recent was I was at a Bandits game, and they start the game off in the dark. They put a spotlight on the guy coming down the stairs, and he's playing the bagpipes. He goes right out onto the floor, and I'm – and I always get goosebumps when I hear the bagpipes. I think they are, they are one of the greatest sounding instruments in, in the world. I mean, I, and I'm not just saying that because you're on here. It's just every time you hear the bagpipes and they, we had a family friend uh, who played the bagpipes and he played them at uh, my, my grandfather's funeral and, and there would be parties in the summertime, and just all of a sudden, all you'd hear is just that, and then it would, the, the bagpipes would start and, I love I love the bagpipes, but I've always heard and speaking with someone who plays the bag that it's like the hardest instrument to learn how to play. Well, I'd say this about it. There's there's never more people that want to play this publicly so poorly. Like you would never wheel into the mall in Buffalo and just sit down at the piano Christmas time. You can't play the piano and broom, doom, doom, broom, like no. <laughs> you'd never do that. But people that that figure out how to play one song think that they're going to put that thing on their shoulder and play. And, you know, because you don't hear it often, you think, is that really crappy? It sounds crappy to me. I don't, but I'm no expert. Right. But uh, it, it's, it's one of those ones. It's tough to learn, but once you learn it, uh, yeah. when I set it down for a long time, and then we were at a party in New York and there was a, a gentleman from the NYPD, he was in the, the, the pipe band for the police and he's playing all these, you know, kind of the easy American songs that are pretty easy to play. And, and I thought, ah, I'll play with them a little bit. I said, Isn't that hard to play? Oh, so hard to play. You could never play this. Oh, really? What shoulder does it go on? 
Oh, okay, let me try it. You'll never get a note, son. Never get a note. All right, let me give it a try. And I banged out a, a reel. It's about 136 beats a minute. And his jaw dropped. And the next day, two cops gave me a set of pipes. I was in the NYPD. And I played for a number of years with the police band there, which was great because St. Patty's Day, if you have been to New York, right, you march down fifth, take a left and stumble up third because you go to every pub all the way <laughs> until you can't go to another pub. So uh, that was kind of a ritual. It's like, oh, St. Patty's Day. We'll see Glenn for a couple of days, but he'll be fine. It's good. Hey, no underwear under the kilt, eh? Well, uh, I did do that at Nick Kiprios' wedding because uh, that is the ritual. And, uh, you know, uh, a couple of the guys decided to uh, hang me upside down from my ankles. So just think of that thing upside down. It's not an attractive look. It just isn't. The, hor- the horror. It's not an attractive look. However, from that moment on, now I've got two pairs of underwear that I wear all the time, just in case the first one magically falls off. So, oh, that's great. Inside knowledge. That's however. great. Yeah. Under, under, uh, up your kilt knowledge. There's actually, funny enough, there's a band from my hometown. They were like a local band. They were called Up Your Kilt. Um, anyway, that's a great story. It's unbelievable. I had no idea that you knew how to play the bagpipes. I mean, you, you always struck me as like a, a really intelligent person. You went to Western Michigan University. I mean, what was the NHL ever in your in your thoughts when you went off to university, or what were you going to school to be? Because you're 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 not your typical you know cliche hockey player. You know where they say guys got you know shit for brains, and I mean you're you're an intelligent guy. Well, I wouldn't say that's that's a stretch. However, I'll take the compliment. Um, you know. We, we never know what our journey is. You know, we, we, we think we have it figured out, but we never do at 16. And, and at 16, we've got to make a big decision. Do you play junior A or do you go to college? Because the minute you play a, a second in junior A or go to a training camp, that's it. You're done. You're ineligible for a university degree. And so, you know, my parents were always, you, you could be the first ever Healy educated in the family. Like, that's a that's a really lofty goal for our family. It's been around for centuries. Only one person ever to go to university. So, uh, but I had to make that decision. Mike Keenan was the coach of the Peterborough Peets at the time, and that was my first interaction with Mike. He wanted me to come to Peterborough to play junior A. Then I would be an ineligible for a university degree. Came to a rink in Pickering, a uh, little dump called Don Beer Arena, and asked me to play with Peterborough. And I said, no, Mike, respectfully, I'm going to go to university and get a degree. My parents are really pushing me that way. And, uh, and it was, he basically called me a loser and that I would never amount to anything and I would never go anywhere and I would never play at any level. And as a 16 year old, that just devastates you, right? You're like, he, he's right. I'm a loser. Like I made a wrong decision here. Anyways, went to university, ended up with a double major and uh, and I still remember the first day Mike made the NHL as the coach of Philadelphia. And I waited for him in L.A. You know, you had the old arena. You had to walk past the, the home team's dressing room to get in. And as soon as I saw him, I said, oh, wow, Mike, you finally made it. Hey, eh? you loser. <laughs> You're in the NHL now. So, so wait um, a minute. So you, so, so you actually, when you, when you made it and yeah. you saw him get his first yeah. coaching gig, there was a time when you both, you know, years and years later saw each other and, and, and what did you say to him? That's- right, at the, right at the door of the dressing room, basically said, yep, who's the loser now? So, uh, 
but that was, you know, hey, that was my first interaction, second interaction with Mike. Then when we were together with the New York Rangers, it, it didn't really go well that year either. Uh, but that's okay. You know, there's people in this world, uh, you know, we don't necessarily get along with. Uh, but for me, the university route was the right route to go. Hey, I wasn't a talented guy in any way, right? You've got guys that you watch, you know, Borja Salming, the minute you skated with him, if he hadn't skated in three months, one second on the ice, you'd be like, whoa. Who's that guy, right? That wasn't what you said about me, even if I had trained for three months straight and skated every day, twice a day. Um, so the root So what me- gave, like, I mean, it's funny to hear you say that and so humble. Like this guy played 15 years in the National Hockey League and I'm going to hear the bullshit coming out here. You're not going to, you're not doing this to us. Well, I think when you look at every player, I do, is a triangle, okay? Yeah. So one side of the triangle would be talent. So you're Alex Kovalev. My gosh, that side of the triangle is as big as you're ever going to get. Yes. One of the most talented players I've ever played with. And the other side of the of the triangle, maybe the, the intangible side of the ledger. So that would be as simple as you and I are we're at the silver stick tournament and we're in the halls playing mini sticks hockey and you throw down a sock that you'd roll up into a ball. Who wants that more? Okay, the guys that have that long side of the intangible ledger you know, they'll stick around. You know, Gretz had that intangible side of the ledger huge. And then there's, the, the I think, the base is knowledge, like your ability to understand the game. And that's, I think, what I worked on the most. I didn't have the talent quotient. I maybe had the intangible side of it, but the knowledge. So analyzing when the guy changes the tape on a stick. Okay, so he went from black to white. Chances are in a two-on-one he's going to shoot because he's got no – confidence right now or what power plays do or or a book on every player so that knowledge side i could figure that out but the talent side i can't get back in line to go get more talent they ain't giving that out so so i think that's where every player is built and you figure out where you fit in and how you can make it and then it's a whole bunch of fate if you've got fate on your side it works so you're going to tell me when you were playing the game and you were in a game, you could identify yeah. that a guy was using, instead of his white, he changed the black for that game, and you would be able to pinpoint that out in your brain to yeah. identify that usually guys that change the color of their tape, you were bang on, are looking for, they're looking for a spark. They're looking for something different. Yeah. And you can, you're telling me you're identifying that? Yeah, that's, that's oh. what you got to do. Now, there are other guys, like Mike Richter was a great example. One of my best goalie partners ever. I, I can recall a game in Toronto. We we're playing against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, I said, okay, so Ricky, here's the shooters. And we go down through every shooter. Wendell Clark likes to go here. Dougie Gilmore likes this. Matt Sundin, he gets a breakaway. Big guy, captain, big C, right-hand shot, backhand geek, gets a breakaway. Got it? Got it. He goes, yep. Got it. Here we go. So uh, Matt Sundin scores two goals on him in the second period, both of them on a, a breakaway, both. And uh, Ricky says to me after, um, who's the guy who scored those two goals on the breakaway? Uh, Ricky, it's the captain. It's Matt Sundin. Like, but he, he was talent. He, was, he just had great feel. He wasn't a guy who had a big book on players. That was more me. I think that's unbelievable. I, I want to go back to uh, Mike Keenan for a second. So you, you, you see him when you're playing in L.A. You go say something to him. And then how did you end up? 
with the Rangers with him? Did he acquire you? I mean, was that something that did he go and get you or was that just by default or, or how did, how did that work? Cause was he not so, coach and general manager? No, no. Uh, Neil Smith was general manager. Neil Smith was general manager. Yeah. But uh, uh, you know, that, that was the summer of expansion, right? You had, you know, the uh, Florida Panthers and Tampa Bay lightning that were expanding. And so I was with the Islanders the year before we beat Pittsburgh semifinals, you know, that was, you know, upsetting the, the big giant. We had knocked them off the, the hill, so to speak. And, uh, and so that summer um, I got picked up in the first round of the expansion draft uh, by the Anaheim mighty ducks. So I was an original mighty duck and Tampa Bay was allowed to pick one player in the expansion draft. They picked me and traded me to the Rangers. And the whole time I was in, Ireland with a bunch of Islanders. There's 10 of us that went there. And uh, so we're on the West Coast. There's no phone. There's uh, you know, no ability to get a hold of me. And so Anaheim's calling to let me know, yes, we've taken you in the expansion draft. No call back. Don't bother calling back. I don't even know I'm picked up. And then Tampa Bay picks me up. Again, phone calls. No call back. Phil Esposito, why bother calling him? He's only in the Hall of Fame. No phone. Don't know. And then, uh, okay, sure enough, get traded to the Rangers. And days later, I still haven't called anybody. So now they're thinking, I am a complete asshole. I haven't called anybody back. Didn't even know I got picked up. Uh, it wasn't until Pat Flatley, I could see the, the big Irish horse head coming through this brazen head pub to tell me he had talked to his mom and his mom told him, Glenn is now a New York Ranger. And, uh, you know, for anyone that knows, if you're an Islander, you're never a Ranger. If you're a Ranger, you're never an Islander. It's like the Leafs and the Canadians. That just doesn't happen. And so that was my journey and then ended up with the New York Rangers. And uh, and Mike was the coach. They hadn't made the playoffs the year before, but a magical year right from start to finish. Training camp was in, uh, uh, in London, England, and we didn't bring anybody but the team. And so from the minute we hit the ground running, that was our team. Could and be so worse. Could have really been could have been worse heels because uh, you could have known you got traded. Riv got traded to Buffalo. And he didn't call Darcy for three weeks. He was so pissed off. Three weeks. <laughs> Eight weeks. I refused to call. His, his wife made him call. His wife made him call. I got traded on July 3rd, I think it was, or 4th. And I didn't talk to Darcy till the 27th of August. I was just... And, and you know what? It had nothing. It, there was no disrespect to Darcy. It had nothing to do with even the Buffalo Sabres. Kind of. It's just that I played for Montreal. I played I for did. Montreal. I, I had a severe hatred for, for Buffalo. Um, it was a shitty place to go because the, 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 the city sucked. Okay. Downtown was a ghost town. This was years and years ago. Um, I hated every guy in the team, like literally every single guy in the team, including, you know, the leader of the pack and Andrew, because he's barking just a junkyard dog. You know, every time I was near their bench, he was just verbally abusing me to the sense it was off the chart and I couldn't physically abuse you because I never got on the ice. <laughs> yeah. So there was 12 years of torture. And now all of a sudden I get traded back to, back to that, you know, that, con that division. And I was just like, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to see, I don't want to go in the room with these guys. 
Well, so, I, I, I love in, in Buffalo, uh, we were doing a game with Hockey Night Canada, and I, I okay, so you, you got to have your voice. You got to have, you know, things ready to go for that night. I thought, okay, I'll get some throat lozenges, you know, get ready for the, the big game. And the hotel said, yes, uh, we don't really have a gift shop at the hotel. Uh, but if you go across the street to the hospital, they've got a, uh, they've got a pharmacy you can get, you know, a <laughs> package of hulls. You got to go to a pharmacy in Buffalo? Like, uh, okay. Here we are. It's Welcome. changed a lot, man. Buffalo, Buffalo has changed a lot. It's it's truly on the up and up. It's it's redeveloped and everything. But I I've heard stories about when guys would come into town back in the day when uh, and it was it was tough for them to to do anything here. Um, back to the Rangers for a sec. Like, so you win a cup with the Rangers that whole year. That was the year that Messier made his uh, guarantee, right? Yeah. So, I, so I've heard – now, that was against the Devils, right? Yeah. So, so I, I heard two things. One, that it was a guarantee, but it wasn't like a guarantee, like we're going to win tonight. It was like he didn't have a cho- – you guys were down in the series, I think, 3-2, yeah. correct? Or, and it was, yeah. it was like, yeah, we're going to win tonight. Like, what's he going to say? So was it a real guarantee or was it kind of like a taken out of context guarantee uh, via media, which we all know can happen? Uh, well, so let, we'll put it in perspective. So the, the guy who is standing in the locker room with a microphone asking questions is not the guy who writes the headline. The guy who writes the headline is a different guy, right? He's trying to sell newspapers in New York and where there's 10 different newspapers. You've yeah. got the ones that would follow, you know, Alex Rodriguez around to strip bars to get as many pictures of him in there as you could. And then you've got the other one who's actually Stan Fischler, the maven following hockey and breaking that down. So you had the tabloids, you had, you know, kind of the historical hockey side. And so when it came to that, that was the headline. We, had, we were down the series 3-2. New Jersey had a really good team, a young goalie in Verdure, and they were playing your your uh, just exciting NHL hockey called the 05. I don't know if you've heard of that. That's where you just don't forecheck at all. Just <laughs> dump the puck in and stand at the blue line and go, Rover, Rover, we call the Rangers over till you get it back to do it again. So, uh, you know, here we were down in the series. And, you know, of course, what's a captain going to say? You know, are you going to win? Well, no, we've got a tea time tomorrow. So we can always push it off to game seven, you know, maybe, you know, but so that was the headline. We will win. And, uh, all right. I can recall getting on the bus. We skated in, in, uh, Rye Playland and then made our way to the Meadowlands and, uh, and everybody looking at the paper thinking, Oh my gosh, now what? Right. Like it's everywhere. And what, what does Mark do? Well, it's two, one late in the second, the Devils playing the 05. So now we think they haven't lost a lead once all year. What are the chances of us coming back in an elimination game? Probably slim to none. And he goes out and gets a hat trick in the third period. And one of the goals, he puts the puck in the net and Bernie Nichols. So that ain't, you know, embarrassment enough. I'm going to take your best score and put everybody in the net. And then to finish it off, an empty net goal from 175 feet where no one would even attempt that, right? You, yeah. you know the rule. One goal Head game. center of the net, too, if I'm not mistaken. Just, just get it out. You know, how many times have we seen a one-goal game, guy tries to score from 200 feet, and you're thinking, what are you, selfish? You can't do that. No, no, no. There's a few players that can do that. 
Uh, one wore 99 and the other one would be Mark Messier. And so finishes it off with a hat trick all by himself. And then we go to game seven. So, but isn't that the way like great players just write their own script? Yeah. So I, I have a great question, you know, because we've, we've talked about um, leadership in this era here. So, you know, the, the 2010 and and beyond um, there's a lot of talk about leadership by committee. We hear this all the time. Now it's leadership by committee. You know, this guy's the captain, but we have all this committee that we deal back in the day, you know, Mark Messier considered one of the greatest leaders of all time. How big was his voice in the dressing room and, and how he dealt with players. And I know that you guys had, you know, a lot of leadership on that team, but how, how pronounced, how strong was his voice in that room? Well, I think Mark's biggest strength uh, was the fact that uh, he, he recognized that everybody had a role. And everybody mattered. And that's something a lot of players don't recognize. Great players sometimes, I'm the best, so I'll just do my own thing. And you guys try to follow along. That was not Mark. I mean, we had a guy who worked for the Rangers, a little short Italian guy, Benny Patrizzi. And Benny came over after World War II. He got wounded in 1942 and started working with the Rangers. And all he did was pick up towels. That's it. Pick up towels. And he'd walk through the room every day and he'd stop in the middle of the room with his Brooklyn accent and he would say, let's go, Rangers, and he'd keep walking. We love this guy. It was Benny. And he would shine your shoes. You'd come to your locker and you'd be like, those are mine? Well, that's what they look like. Oh, okay, right? That was Benny. And then, you know, right before game seven, when it mattered and all the pressure was on us in New York and they were chanting the Rangers on the – stock exchange floor and everyone on the street stopping us to see whether we're going to win game seven against the Vancouver Canucks. Benny stopped in the middle of the room and he said, Rangers, I don't care if you win or lose tonight. I love you. Let's go Rangers. And he kept walking. And I thought the only guy in New York, not putting pressure on us. Okay. Now fast forward. He doesn't get a Stanley cup ring. No, you can only give so many people rings. He picks up towels, big deal. Picks up, anyone can pick up a towel, right? Uh, anyways, the end of the day, Mark Messier says, if you don't get him a ring, I'll give him mine. Get him a ring. And we presented Benny with a ring. He died a year later, but that was Mark. Oh, Everybody Jesus. mattered to Mark Messier. Now, okay, by committee, Craig, you're right. Absolutely. So uh, you had a Kevin Lowe. Uh, when Mark would go a little off kilter, Kevin Lowe would step in and go, Mark, Going a little hard here. Like we gotta, we gotta settle things down. So you had other players playing other roles. You didn't put your your chessboard with you know seven queens and think you're gonna go win chess that way. Yeah, you had your big pieces, you had your pawns. I was a pawn, but you also had your rooks and your bishops, and everybody did their role, stayed in their lane, and Mark recognized that, but everybody mattered. And I think that was his greatest strength. But from a leadership standpoint, uh, I would argue not hockey. In any sport, there is not a better leader. And when he spoke, you're damn right you listened. Uh, we had a game, and I don't know if you remember when Mike Padano was taken off on a stretcher and they dropped the stretcher. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so yeah. go back to that. Are we allowed to laugh at that now that he's okay? Because that was okay. pretty funny. Totally fine. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> he got the brace well, on his neck and everything, they drop him. Yeah. 
that was the uh, the end of the second period, bit of a melee going on with Dallas, and and Mark's getting beat up by Ludwig and Hatcher, and so Andrew, what would you do at that point? You'd step in, right, and defend Mark Messi. That's your role. You defend the captain. All right, we do, and we take a couple penalties. In between periods, Mark tears a strip off us. You want to make a difference? Don't go after. Ludwig and Hatcher go after their stars. That's what you do. That'll make a difference. And you know, there's other words in that speech other than what I'm saying. Naturally, uh, in a locker room. And then we start the third period. We're down a couple men. We're killing some penalties and whistle blows. I look back and there's Mike Medano in a, in a heap laying at the blue line. Well, no, game's not on TV. Like, how the hell did that happen? Mark skates by the bench. Got him. There you go. That's what you do. <laughs> so, all right. Lesson learned. Figure this one out. Uh, and then they dropped him at the uh, at the ambulance. So quite quite a I'll, I'm going to say it with my own words and I'm going to go do it myself. I'll show you how that was mess. I love that because you know what it as the game as the game uh, evolved and progressed, you know, like you say, what would I do? I would go after Hatcher and Ludwig. Yeah. But but in reality, what what's that doing? Like, you know, we had Ovechkin one game ran Briere from behind right into the door when the door was opening, and Briere like almost broke his sternum. And the next game, guess who I fought? Not Ovi, obviously. No, no, Donald Brashear. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like it just it it never it never made sense uh, how that kind of game was played later on back then. I like that. Go after the stars. That'll settle them down. And I, I couldn't agree with them more. Yeah. Well, I think Bobby Orr fought his first year a bunch of times just to show everybody. I'll stand up to anybody. They didn't have to fight again. And they had a pretty tough team and they could go from there. But it's uh, that, that was mess. I mean, he, he had a big stick and he was walking tall. Uh, we all love that movie. But, uh, but an incredible leader. And, and, and it's a good lesson for Everybody, everybody matters on a hockey team. You can't win just by yourself. And we're seeing that in places like Edmonton, where they've got one of the best players in the world, can't find a way to get it done. We're seeing it in Toronto, where they've had great players individually, but can't find a way to get to the second round. If we didn't get to the second round as players, the year was a complete failure, like an epic fail. Now to to get a fifth win is like, the city, I, I, I don't know where the parade route is. I hope it's in front of my house and I don't have to leave. But it'd be great to have the parade right in front of the house. But that's where, you know, they're at right now with some of the teams. Where was there more pressure for you? Was it, was, and I mean you, but I mean like for the team, the teams that you were on. Was it Rangers or Toronto? Because everyone always talks about the pressure in Toronto. Or the Islanders. The Islanders, the Islanders too. I mean, they had, the, you know, you played uh, for the Islanders in uh, late 80s, early 90s. and that is a pressure cooker there because they have a lot of, uh, you know, they won a lot of Stanley cups. I'll, I'll take the time machine and go back to the Kings. That was great. There was no pressure at all. None. Like we didn't even, it, you guys, if you practice at Culver city ice rink, there wasn't even lines painted on the ice. So you would take the net and you would just <laughs> kind of put it here. And if they scored on your stick side, you just went, Oh, I was moving over here. There we go. Now, now I've solved that issue. Uh, there was no pressure whatsoever. Islanders, we were in a rebuild. 
and we had the best coach I've ever played for in Al Arbor. So he took all that pressure away from all of us. He, he was a smart man. He knew where we were at in our rebuild in, in the process. So, you know, playing for him was easy. You know, Islanders, uh, we moved on from there. Rangers, the three generations of, of not winning a championship. And what the Rangers did was in 1940 when they won the Cup, uh, they actually had to play the last bunch of games in Toronto because the circus was in town in New York. So you can imagine, forget home ice advantage, you're at Maple Leaf Gardens. And they burned the mortgage of uh, Madison Square Garden in the Stanley Cup because they had paid it off. And that was the hockey gods will get back at you. You will never win again because of what you have just done. It's sacrilegious to do that. I thought it was a bunch of BS. But as we got later on in, in all of our journeys, I thought, these hockey gods are getting back at us, right? Zella Pukin scores in game seven with 7.4 seconds left. I'm like, they're, they're coming at us. They're getting back at us. And so there was great pressure in New York because of the generations. Uh, Toronto, uh, they're at 55 years now. So now you're into the fourth generation. I, I'd say this, as players, if the media, if Al Strachan, Steve Simmons, or whoever writes in Buffalo could even tell you an, the, an, a name of a writer, puts more pressure on you than you put on yourself, you're probably in the wrong spot. So I think as players, we excel at the highest level. And if we can't get it done, we're harder on ourselves than any of the media will ever be. So I didn't really feel it, but they're all big markets. And so why do we take it so personally as, as players? Why do the players take it so personally, do you think? Because, I mean, I mean, I can give you a million different scenarios in Toronto, but even here in Buffalo, I mean, you know, like they're when things aren't going well, you know, the hard questions always come out. But why do players always wear it so hard? Well, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, you've got this, your telephone. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I mean, we all have kids, right? You post a picture. How many likes do I get? Do I get 100 likes? Oh, I only got 90 likes. Is the lighting wrong? Is the picture wrong? Like there is this, um, you know, especially with social media, it's there. And it, the bar is so low. I mean, you could, you know, basically step in. At, if you've got a recording device, you could be a accredited writer in the NHL. Like those days of, of having some like institutional knowledge and street credibility are gone. So I, I think a lot of it is is just it, it's there, right? And you see a lot of players, they, they, they don't want to go out. They don't want to go out for dinner. Yeah. They don't want to be seen with a beer in their hand. They don't want to see socializing. It just... Why? Because there's that innate pressure that a picture is going to appear of old. There's, there's a click of the button and it's, and it's, you're dealing with the web. It can go anywhere in the world with one small little click, click in the button. And, you know, when I came in the league and obviously when you were in the league, um, there was no cell phones. There's no FaceTime. There was no pictures. There was nothing. We were doing what we wanted. We were drinking beers when we wanted. We were, it was it was a fun time. There was a lot less pressure because when you did suck, people had to read the paper to get information. Yeah. Not everybody read right. the paper. Now right. it's like, holy shit balls. You know, guys are making mistakes and it is everywhere yeah. in the world. And welcome to the world of analytics, right? That are analyzing every single <laughs> part of your game. Good first pass guy. What does that mean? Well, Jamie McCowan, when I played with Jamie, everyone in the first three rows at the gardens, they gave baseball gloves. So they all kept <laughs> the crowd. I mean, there was no analytics for that one. It just, hey, 
watch this. And gonna be not, not going to be in my zone for very long. It's gone. Yeah. Take the pressure, and I'm going to send it right to that fan with a baseball glove on. Hey, they know they know the players because they look at charts and graphs. Hey, eh, heels like they oh, know. Yes, hey, right. look at look at this number down here versus this one up here. You know, his shots against when he's on the ice, or or you know, it's brutal. Oh my god, I can't handle it. I can't. I, I'm not saying I don't respect it, but I can't handle the analytics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, the intangible side of the ledger: two sticks playing in a hallway, silver stick tournament. Throw down a sock. Who wants it more? That's the guy I'll take on my team any day, all day long. Any any day, all day long. Um, what do you think of the playoffs now? I mean, it, it's you know, I, I, you know, here talking social media. I sent out a tweet the other day, and I said basically, these are the greatest playoffs I think I've ever seen. Agree or disagree? Well, certainly, um, you know, it, 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 the the mantra has always been: if I can get you to the edge of your seat. I've won as like a fan, right? You know, you, that excitement of could yeah. we score? Will we yeah. score? Uh, they are getting us out of our seat more than we've ever seen, right? Which I think is is what you want, right? You you want as many goals as you can. Uh, the, the line between winning and losing, I, I feel for today's players, you know, they've had a year uh, where they were in the bubble. Oh, that's a lot of fun. Playing in front of no fans, not having your family, like, you know, taking the tunnel from the Royal York underneath to the Air Canada Center, not seeing anybody, playing a game in front of nobody, not fun. Then we had a year of friends and family only. Wow, in Montreal, which is one of the best places to play. Riv, you're, I'm, like, I'm looking at the Canadian sweater and hating every part of it. Um, uh, but, you know, what a place to play. I mean, I opened the very first game in the Bell Center. Didn't stand a chance. It was like three nothing before we the national anthem. Renee Jeannot or whatever her name is, she hadn't even finished the last part of the national anthem. It was three nothing. Uh, friends and family. Oh, we're allowed five hundred fans. Oh my gosh! Wow, this will be exciting. So they've had a couple really tough years, and then now you throw in another year. So basically, you played three full seasons in about a year and a half. <laughs> well, good luck. I mean, it's hard enough to play with a set schedule and, you know, gosh, by the time you got to April in the 80s, you're already given the cup out. Now they get to April, they haven't even put playoff brackets together. So it's been tough. So there's more mistakes made. Parity is greater. And even the teams that don't get in, I mean, you needed in the East 100 points to get into the playoffs. Yeah. 100 points. Yeah. That's a darn good team. And so it's jump ball with any series. And, uh, and again, one win a month puts you in the dance or out of the dance. So I'm loving it. Like you, PD, it's pretty entertaining. And I'm not the edge of my seat. I'm getting out of my seat. At least play tonight. I, I don't know who's going to throw the first touchdown, but someone's going to get a touchdown. So bring it <laughs> right? on. And that's a goalie in Vasilevsky. He's, one of the vet, he's the Vezina guy. And you can th- – three is just – that's average. We get three on him, no problem. To be a goaltender in the National Hockey League right now, and these guys are just so world-class, these, these men. Um, I mean, scoring is up at an all-time. It's like, you, you know, if you're ever a gambler and you're, you know, you're on DraftKings or FanDuel or what, whatever the hell you're doing, I mean, to try and pick an over-under in this game is just, I mean, every game seems to be, you know, seven to five, or, you know, you got the, the, 
the Pittsburgh game this year where we were watching. It was 10 to 2. I mean, there's so many goals. There were that a are couple being of those scored. this year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's more goals being scored with these young players and, and the talent level and the changing of the, the style of the game. Um, I really, I've really enjoyed it. I, I've enjoyed the playoffs too because, man, you don't know who's going to win. Yeah. You just do not know who's going to win. There's so many great teams in the league right now. Hashtag uh, shameless plug for the alumni uh, points bet. Um, I was checking the, uh, oh, do we have a deal with points bet? Oh, sorry about that. I, Did you I just say hashtag? Bet. Oh, my God. Uh, anyway, come carry hashtag. Come a long way. Uh, but even, you know, the Montreal Canadiens, right? I, the worst team in the NHL this year. And on a night, they close out the season with Guy Lafleur laying in state. Uh, they score 10 goals for number 10, the flower. Against oh, yeah. the Ow. president's trophy winners. Oh, how I, I just, that is about as much fate as you could ever have. Um, you know, we were part of that evolution of, of the, 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 the stick when they changed from the wooden sticks to the one piece and to, you know, that synthetic kind of stick. And that changed the game because, you know, Ty Domi, who couldn't break a pane of glass from 30 feet, let alone 20 feet. Uh, once he put, one of those in his hands. He, he could score on goalies from 30, 40 feet. And that, that made the bar go where everybody could score from a distance on you. And, yeah. you know, I still remember Matt Sundin, the first time he, he picked up a Dmitry Uskevich stick and said, what's this? Let me try this. And took a slap shot at me in practice from center. And this thing was coming at me with a stewardess on it. I was like, what is this? And he changed his stick right there in the playoffs. That's it. Boom. I'm, and Now, was Matt Sundin – not the first NHL player to use the Easton synergy. No, I think uh, Gretz was doing it. Um, you know what? There was a patent for uh, that kind of stick in the forties and they disallowed the patent in the forties. So that would be Andrew Peters first year in the NHL. So, um, and then the, it, it came back and Gretz had that, remember the silver, beautiful Easton yeah. stick? Everybody wanted a piece of that. Uh, and I, I think the NHL, if they were to regret one thing would be, and, and <laughs> Batman would probably, or Batman, whichever one you want to call him, uh, he, he would admit that, gosh, when we went to those sticks, stick budget went from like 40 grand to 600 grand because everybody was, you know, let's get these $300 sticks and, it, it set, sent the uh, budgets to a new level, but, uh, but, you know, everyone can score and embarrass a goalie from any distance. Everyone works on their skills. Everyone has a skill coach, a face-off coach, a skating coach. I mean, I, I went to the world junior tryouts. Uh, I hadn't even checked my bag to see if the equipment was in it from the last game the year before. That was my level of preparation for the world juniors. You know, well, I hope both skates are in here because if they're not, it's going to be tough to make the team with one skate. It's going to be one way to wear a Kodiak boot for the first three days. Anyways, that being said, uh, it, the game has totally changed, and these guys, these guys are stars. They're pros, and they train all year yeah. long. So I, I, uh, go ahead, Rick. I want to I, I want to get uh, Heels' uh, opinion. I, we've got some really really great series going on right now. I just want to do a quick rapid fire throughout the series, and you tell me who's gonna who's gonna come out on top. Um, last night, Washington tied up the series two two. Who's gonna take that down? Florida tied up the series. Get your head out of your ass. What did I just say? You said Washington did, but that's okay. okay. We'll let it my, slide. My bad. 
I'm going with Wash. End the podcast. Okay. He's done. You're done. So my, my cousin plays on Florida. So it's, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Florida is going to win. No, but listen here. Heels. I, I would have taken Washington, but my loyalty, you had taken Washington. When we were making the picks, I said, I want to take Washington, but my loyalty That's lies you with just the Bay bloodlines, so I picked Florida. So go ahead. Well, you know, it's better than the shameless plug of, oh, I've got a blood relative that plays on the team or a friend that bought me dinner one time when, you know, I was a veteran, he was a rookie. Like, you can't, you, these emotions, the, no, no. I'm going with the best player in Ovechkin and thinking he's going to be the, the difference maker. So there. You, you can go get your free dinner in the store. Oh, here we go. Gets, hey, you can go to Florida when they win the Cup. So Suck on th- that, Rib. Yeah, Suck you know on what? that. Moving on. I'm just going to respectfully right now allow you to beat me down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If that was Andrew, we would be in a battle right now. But uh, Pittsburgh, 3-1 uh, in the series against the Rangers. What do you think? Pitt all day long. Yeah, all day long. All day That's long. Just, you, would you, you have know, said that before? There's something series? about being there before and yeah. doing it, knowing how to do it, and they've got it. You, yeah, you believe that too, eh? I mean, that's. We I were think just, there was a lot of po- uh, people that really liked the Rangers this year, though. Well, they've got a great goalie. You know, they haven't had goaltending like that since Healy left. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's a fact. I mean, I don't know if you knew that they hung my sweater in the rafters. I don't know if you knew that. Right next, also, to, right next to Lundquist. Lundquist. He had Lundquist on the back, yeah. So they put the wrong name on, but I often <laughs> joked about maybe sneaking in before they did the unveiling and putting my name on it, and then there would have been that old fuck moment. Oh, what happened there? Yeah, <laughs> no, it didn't happen. So, um, hey, great goalie, young team, rebuild, uh, but the, 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 the will to win, I think, is taken away from yeah, them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tied 2-2, Calgary-Dallas. Calgary. I, you know, love Sutter. I, I just think he—he's a player's coach. Incredible. You know, he's, he's not dealing with analytics. He's not dealing with you know. I'm gonna the matchup here and the matchup there and good stick in the lanes and all the BS I listen to on TV. It's just here we go. I'm a farmer from middle of Canada, and this is how we're gonna get it done. And I what love did, that. One, Finally, one of the reports. Yeah. Finally. Wow. Wouldn't that be unique in this game instead yes. of an a-hole? Yeah. And uh, I I can't remember exactly what was said, but one of the reporters asked him because Johnny Goudreau, Johnny Hockey, had uh, n- not produced anything offensively in the series. And they asked Sutter, you know, how are you going to, you know, get Johnny Hockey out of his, you know, scoring slump? And he's just kind of like, I don't know. Shouldn't be asking me. It's, he's the guy with all the talent. He'll figure it out. You know, it just like his responses to these questions are just literally legendary. He's got to be one of the most enjoyable coaches to listen to right now because he's so honest. Well, and not that we've ever had to worry about it, three of us, but goal scorers, they define themselves, win or lose with the team, by how many cookies they get. If they score, even if the team loses, they'll never tell you this, but they feel better about their game. Like they've got a beer on the bus with a smile because I got you know, three points tonight. Meanwhile, I'm the goalie who got scored on seven times sitting in the back of the bus as bitter as can be. Right. Um, they, they, they have a different mentality yes. and they get defined by it. And Sutter understands it. And he's like, Hey, plain and simple, the kid will figure it out. And if he doesn't, I really don't care. Just every time you're out on the ice, 
you play 20 minutes a night and each shift is 40 seconds and I give you 30 shifts. Just make sure that the first shift and 30th shift don't leave anything on the ice. And if you score, you score. If you don't, he scored a He scored a beautiful penalty shot goal last night. Yeah. Beautiful yeah. penalty shot goal. Yeah, Keep going. Uh, the goalie looked so good in that. Um, what would that be defined as in, with the analytics as, as a – what would that be? Like a off the diving board? Like what oh. – taught, who taught the goalie that move to make that say? I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying, making it up. Here we go. Um, Boston, Carolina. When the dream has to die for Boston, doesn't it? It's got to be Carolina that is the better team. And Boston, because of – I love their leadership. I love their, their guys on their team. Even the guys I hate on their team, I love on their team. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yes. at some point, I think Carolina is the better team. They've got to find a way. And I think they will. I think Charlie McAvoy, too. I don't think that he's uh, traveling to Carolina for the next game. He's out. I mean – when you're missing one of the one of the best defensemen in the National Hockey League that eats the minute that he does, it's eventually yeah. going to hurt you. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the big one. This is a, this has been a great series. You got the two time defending Stanley Cup champions. They got absolutely blasted in the first game in Toronto, and I was like, "Wow, this is Toronto's year. They they've got this." And then all of a sudden, boom, shakalaka! This this absolute monster comes to play. It's been back and forth. Series tied two two. Who do you like coming out of this one? Uh, uh, you know what? It to me, both goalies have been good, and they've been the first star in dodgeball. In any given game. So I'm going to watch with, you know, great patience the start of the game tonight to see whether the Leafs can get their act back together and recoup. And if they can't. But shouldn't you be saying the same thing about Tampa Bay? Because Tampa Bay dropped the ball in two games too. So it's like, why is all the pressure on Toronto? uh, Maybe because they haven't got a Stanley Cup picture in color. I don't know. Start with that. (laughs) And then maybe because they haven't been in the second round since any one of those sweaters behind you were war, <laughs> any one of them, uh, the, you know, the city wants desperately a second round and yeah. road to that second round is through a team. And when you've won a cup, you just, you're not given that up without a fight. It's the best thing you could ever do is win it, win it twice. It's the best thing you could ever do. And to know that you could win it a third time and, and set some sense of history since you know, the Islanders and I guess the Oilers did it, um, there's there, a real allure that you don't go down at, at Charlton Heston, you know, from these dying hands. They're not letting this trophy go yet. And so it's going to be a battle. I thought from the start it was going to go seven, and I still think it goes seven. And you're not going to give us a uh, who's going to take it? No, I, you know what? I, I, can't clean all the eggs from the front of my house from all the fans that are like. Oh, so we know where you're going with that one. All right. Yeah, but I don't. I just I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that cut and dry. I mean, I I'm I still taking Toronto. No, I still <laughs> no I, I took them. I think. Listen, man. I just I think they're going to. Tampa Bay is just warming up. Mm. They're just warming up. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Like uh, like he'll scored all to, the goals for Tampa tonight. Bay in their last game. Tonight's going to be a, a monster of a game. It was everybody. 
last game. That that's my whole point. Everybody. It was not it was not Kucherov. Um, you know, the 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 big boys like the the pair, uh, Pierre Edward Belmar, Patrick Maroon, Ross Colton, Corey Perry. These are all their fourth line guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's this, that's what this team call- is loaded. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you know, uh Cooper has a way, and you know, he's a player's coach, and he has a way of finding something. For every, every like last year was, you know what? Let's do this because the team won't be together. We're going to break up at the end of the year. The Beatles are done, right? It's over. We're going to go our separate ways. John Lennon doesn't want to be part of the team anymore. Yeah. Financial reasons with their club. And uh, he just finds a way to get somebody to hang their hat on something. And if it is these fourth line guys that all woke up and said, wow, man, did we contribute in a big way? They are feeling pretty darn good about themselves yes. coming into the game tonight. But uh, that that's the most anticipated game of all of them that we're watching. And I know that people will say, yes, you know, X Maple Leaf, that's, you know, you're, you're a fan. No, no, I, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with you more. I don't think, I think everybody's saying that around hockey. All eyes are on Toronto. Like there are people that want to see them win. And then the ones that don't want to see them win this series, they want to see them go out so badly. They cannot wait to see the shit storm that occurs afterward. Is it Dubas? Is it Keefe? Who's traded? Like it is going to be, it, I almost don't I had, want that for Shanahan, to be honest with you. I had a very important talk with my 18 year old son who is a massive, he was born in Montreal. He is a massive diehard Montreal fan. And he says to me the other day, this is about a week and a half ago. He says, dad, I want Toronto to win. And I looked at him and I'm like, listen, listen, listen to me. Don't ever say that again. What are you talking about that you want Toronto? He's like, I just feel bad for them. I just feel bad for Toronto. And I just said, Nate, I'm going to tell you this. That's the last team in the league that you want to win. Do you understand that? You're a Montreal Canadian fan. This is the last team. Do you know how many people, how many flags, how many freaking bumper stickers that you are going to see if this team moves on? It is the Leaf Nation will spread like the plague across the planet if these guys make to the second round because everybody's going to be coming out of the woodwork. You know, uh, I always love going to Buffalo. And coming out the tunnel, the play at the, the Buffalo Arena, and there it was, three-quarters of the crowd, Maple Leaf fans. Yes. And I always thought of the guys like you wearing that sweater and Petey. What are you thinking? Like, get this team out of here. This is Buffalo. They should be cheering for us. And uh, that wasn't the case. And maybe it was just those are the fans that couldn't get tickets in Toronto. So they went to Buffalo. Uh, and even through the pandemic, when you weren't allowed to cross the border without all the testing, the building was three quarters empty because the league fans couldn't cross the border. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, whether you're a Buffalo Sabre fan and you hate the Leafs or a Montreal fan, you hate the Leafs. Um, across the country, when we play Calgary, Vancouver, uh, and Vancouver hated us because the games rolls at four o'clock. Yeah. Right. So it would yeah, be seven right. o'clock in in Ontario, the province that, you know, everybody cares about in Canada, correct? Wrong, except for in Vancouver. And so uh, you were loved, but you were hated. Uh, it's, it's, I've never seen a relationship like that. Maybe that's one of the reasons I like playing for the team. But I feel, 
I feel that there is going to be an expo- there's a lot of dormant Toronto Maple Leaf fan. They're they're sitting back. They're just like they're sitting in their dungeons. They're watching the game and they're praying and hoping that Toronto Maple Leafs can win this series because if they do, they're going to be running outside and the flags are going to be gone and Leaf Nation is going to explode. So anyway, a little uh, little talk with my son. He now realizes he takes it all back and uh, go Tampa Bay. <laughs> Tell us quickly, uh, Oilers, Kings, uh, Minnesota, and St. Louis. Who do you who are you picking there? Those are both tied two two. So that's yeah. I mean, it's, uh, God, you know what? Great um, series. I'm, I'm going to go with the Oilers, uh, and I think the other series it jump ball. Like I I don't have a feeling either way. Like I don't look at those and have a strong opinion other than uh, probably uh, unlike Pierre Maguire, I'm not going to watch every game. I'm not going to sit and watch all 1,300 playoff games and tell you I watched them. Uh, I probably won't watch any of those games. Just in the spirit of time, not going to watch them, and I'll tune into the newspaper and see what Stan Fisher or the Maven has written about those series and go, see, I told you. I knew they were going to win. That's what I said. Yeah. Back on the podcast. What What did you think of? Uh, quickly, I want to talk NHL alumni with you. Um, you know, you're doing great things over there. Well, what did you think about the Trots situation in Long Island yesterday? That it seems so weird that lose yeah. like this is a business decision, and I I, I, just, I don't know. I feel like there's more to that story. Yeah, uh, you know, what first 13 games on the road while well, they built an absolute spectacular building. Like it, it is a beautiful facility, beautiful. And then, you know, you again, you've got the COVID factor that has ripped through every team. So I don't know how you expect, you know, to get results when you're playing with less of a roster. Like their ownership group in Malkin and Ledecky, they're they're sane, really good people. Like they're good people. So something has got on there that we'll probably find out about later on. And, and maybe it's you, you're not getting along with the star player. That's kind of been bubbling around the seams. And if that's the case, then, oh boy, the inmates are running the asylum. But, you know, the one thing we know about Barry Trotz, anybody who's played with uh, underneath his watch, they love him. They think he's a great coach. I think he's a great guy. And, you know, playing for a coach you like is a lot easier than playing for one you hate. Trust me, I've done both. And uh, Barry, he's, he's not a bad coach and probably doesn't deserve the fate that he has. And yet I've got all the respect for Lou Lamarillo and what he's done in yeah. hockey for, for decades. And, and, you know, and so there's something more to this story, but we're probably not going to yeah. find out until a little bit later when you get to Chapter 10 and 11. How long? How long will it take uh, before Barry Trotz is scooped up? Oh, well, right. Winnipeg? Want to send him there? Immediately, right? Right away. There's no doubt. He had calls yesterday at noon. Oh, yeah. There's there's no question, right? So, uh, and and again, he's a good hockey person who cares and has got it figured out. And, you know, uh, no, no question. He's one of those guys that should be around the game and will be. So, He's getting picked up, and, you know, I, I guess the big thing is where does he want to go, right? Because, you know, you start looking at what's going to happen you, in these playoffs. You know, there'll be a number of other coaches that are going to fall yeah. by the hatchet. And, so he's got one more year with the Islanders yeah. under contract. 
Could you see Barry Trotz take a year off, regroup, because he's been coaching a long, 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 long time, okay? One of the winningest coaches ever, games played or uh, games coached. Could you see Barry Trotz take a step back for a year, regroup things, and then that, that next year take it? Only a- if he doesn't find a landing spot that he likes. So if he finds a team that he likes, then he is going to step into that role and someone will be moving his stuff in by this afternoon. Uh, but again, you, you, you got to pick your right spot, right? You've got to like, yeah. uh, clearly he probably woke up the other day and went, you fired me? Like what? How does this work? Right. You know, w- with what I've done and what I've gone through this year and I'm the guy that is the reason. So he's going to be cautious about where he goes, I think. And, and he Do you knows. have any idea how many how many wins he has? Oh, he sits he, third on the list right now. Third on the list in, in coaches wins. And not exactly other than, let's say, Washington, but not exactly coaching in all the best of spots, right? I mean. Yeah, Nashville. I mean, he had to rebuild on a, on a very low budget back in the day when he started. Um, he's just done incredible, incredible things. He's. Sitting right now with 914 wins, he's right behind number two, Joel Quenville, who has 969 wins. And yeah. obviously, Scotty Bowman with 1,244. So just amazing things what he's done. Hey, you mentioned something, Heels. Uh, you said uh, you, you know coaches that you loved and coaches that you hated. Who, who was a coach that you loved? Al Arbor was the best. There's, there's nobody better than Al. Al was, uh, you know, he, he didn't have... If you look at Scotty Bowman, you look at his clubs, right? You, you have the Montreal Canadiens. Is anybody not in the Hall of Fame there? Anyone? Like the whole defense was in the Hall of Fame. The goalies, everyone up front, did the same three center icemen in Backstrom, Richard, and Belleville for 16 straight years. Good luck getting drafted at center with them. Uh, and then, you know, gosh, you, you go to Detroit. and Oh, wow. Pittsburgh. Wow, that's... Yager, Francis. Oh, I forgot Lemieux. Yeah, that guy too. Like, you know, Al had to take an expansion team. He actually was part of that St. Louis group that was coaching when they lost to Boston. And then, you know, the Islanders, he built that group. And, I, and it was, hey, a lot of people that drafted uh, some really good players and in Jimmy DeVolano and Bill Torrey, but, you know, found a way with us in 93. We didn't stand a chance of playing Pittsburgh in that series. And yet we found a way to beat them in game seven and overtime. So Al to me was a guy, he was like a father. He would pull guys aside. He didn't only make you better players, but he made you better people and better ambassadors for the game. So, you know, clearly one of my favorite and, you know, another guy with great presence was Pat Quinn. When Pat walked into a room, uh, you listened and you sat down and he could give some of the, he wasn't an X's and O guy. He was just a, he gave some great speeches and I used to love when he would come in the room and he would sit the chair down and he would tell you the story about civil war and the British box plus one. And that's how the British won the battle and they did this and boom, and the British box plus one and you'd get up and all the Russian players would come to me and go, Glennie, what the fuck is a British box plus one? I don't understand. 
Okay. All right. Well, we'll work it through that one. Okay. Uh, but you know, that was, that was Pat. He just had this presence about him. And, uh, and so I, you know, really, really, really good people in the game. Um, there's a lot of bad people, but those aren't two of them. Those are gems. Yeah. That year, one of the greatest calls ever when you guys eliminated Pittsburgh after they'd won back-to-back cup cups, the call, who scored that goal? Was it David Volak, by the way? Yeah. It was Volak, wasn't it? In overtime. And I and it was game seven. As I was a huge Lemieux fan. Like I grew up, Mario Lemieux was literally everything to me. And I remember the Stanley Cup is up for grabs. That was the call right after he scored. And the Stanley Cup is up for grabs right after Volak uh, yeah. scored that goal. And was he still wearing the trash can back then too? Did he have the big he had the well, big golf on, didn't he? He was a guy that the owners, we had a new ownership group. You talk about craziness they wanted to trade him all year long and uh al would not trade him good guy he's staying on my team and uh, i recall standing by the bus after the game in pittsburgh you know the old igloo arena and and talking to al he was really he was he was pumped right scotty bowman's the other coach and he took a team of ragtag you know misfit toys and (laughs) we beat the pittsburgh penguins and uh you know the owners came down they're all excited he looked at them and right in front of me said, what do you think of David Volek now, you morons? <laughs> okay, he, only he, Al, right? But Al, he knew, like, you know, we, we, we left that game. We were going to play Montreal in the next round. And so Pat Flatley and I said, can, can we stop and get some beer, Al? Oh, for sure. Two cases, that's it. All right. So we went into this little pub called the Ruddy Duck. You guys probably remember it. Ordered 10 cases onto the bus open up the back emergency window. We hand the cases in. And then, you know, the, the two altar boys walk in with one case each, right? That's the two cases. And, you know, Al says, I saw the eight going through the window. Don't think I'm blind. He didn't miss anything. And that's why they called him Radar. That was his nickname. He didn't miss anything on the radar. But, uh, what a, you know, that series, he basically, game one, sat us down and asked us if we could just tie a shift with Mario Lemieux. That's it. And then he went to the next guy and the next guy. Good. There we go. That's one period done. Then two periods. All we have to do is win one period, one shift against Mario Lemieux in game seven. That's what we did. Defenseman stepped up, should have stepped back. David Bullock, Ferraro onto a stick and the series was over. One, of the, big, one of the biggest upsets. Team and they shouldn't have. One of the biggest upsets in maybe Stanley Cup playoff history, in my opinion, was that, you know, I mean, that's not saying much if it's my opinion, but I just, I, from what I remember of that series, it was a massive upset. Um, let's talk about what you're doing now. I mean, like, what have you, if you could do it all over again, what's the one thing you enjoyed most about what you're doing? Is it now the PA, being a player, doing the TV you know, whether it's playing the bagpipes in, in college or whatever, like, wh- like wh- what what would be the one thing that you would do if you could only pick one? I don't think there's ever one, right? I think we're all, you've got all these dimensions of your world. You get one crack at this journey, right? And um, what does that look like? And so you want it to be as good after you play as when you play, right? I mean, we all played at the highest level. We were the best 700 players in the world. And it was a job we'll never have that is any better. It's not going to get a better job. I don't care what you do. And, but that next journey has got to be a great one. And so from the alumni standpoint, 
you know, our role with all of our people at work is just make tomorrow better than today. And that might be emotional, that might be financial, that might be a coping mechanism, a functional integration uh, issue that we have to deal with. It, it pretty simple jobs, make tomorrow better than today. Uh, Player Association, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a, a different animal. We were preparing for CBA negotiations. And so that it becomes very cantankerous and the two sides have different issues. But then you fill your world with a whole bunch of things you like. Bagpiping is one thing that, you know, I love to do. So never going to take that away from me. And then, you know, your life is filled with a whole bunch of other challenges. So this won't be my last one, but they're, they're, they're all complete. They're all that second journey should be as great as the first one. And that's what we try to get with all our players because they deserve it. Uh, all the guys on this call, we all deserve a good second crack at that second journey. And, you know, our job is to make it happen. Has your job at the alumni been eye-opening for you? Well, I, in the sense that, uh, you know, you, you're, you've got uh, when a player's dealing or a family's dealing with an issue and you played with that player, it, it's hard, really is hard. And life can be hard. And uh, every player retires. I mean, we got 135 of them this year that are not going to play next year. So our kind of alumni cells continue to grow. Uh, but it's hard when you know the player, you know the family, you know, kind of been there when their, their kids are born. COVID's not been friendly to anybody on this planet, let alone spouses, kids, players. Um, so the one great thing that we have as alumni, we've got a big army set up. So if anyone calls, you never have to say sorry. There's always somebody to answer that call to make a difference for a player. Uh, but it doesn't make it easier to, to have to, you know, kind of respond to what are just life issues, which is sometimes life can suck, but how do we make a difference? I'll make tomorrow better than today. And if I can do that, then we'll get to tomorrow. We'll make that better than today as well. And I can break it down to that. It, it, it works and it's, it's a good team that works for all of us and we deserve it. What are, what are some of the, uphill battles that you deal with on a daily basis or weekly basis as it comes to uh, retired players? Well, I think, you know, we've all kind of gone through um, COVID and there's a couple of things that, you know, we all recognize. One, there's, there's been a sense of like isolationist, right? You've, you're at home, phone's not ringing like it once did. You're not doing the social side of things. Got to wear a mask, can't go out funerals with 10. It's different in every state. It's different in Canada. I mean, we, we weren't letting people on a golf course a year ago, right? Wow. Don't golf. Oh boy. Touch that flag. You might get COVID, right? So everyone was a little bit different. Um, and then there's this lack of structure as NHL players. When that train leaves the station, we're not on it. You lack the ability to interconnect with all your teammates. You love the locker room and a lack of structure. So those two things can lead to some trouble. And I think the biggest thing, too, is what's coming down the road is a, a tsunami for mental wellness. Like, this has not been good for humanity and the fact that we are social animals and, you know, we, we love doing what we're doing. Before, I think, PD, you went to Wuhan and brought this back um, and created this schmozzle for us all. Uh, but, you know, that, that, you know, change in our, our world. Has, has got a tsunami coming for not only ourselves, maybe our spouses, maybe our kids. So we've got to be prepared for that. And we are. But, but we do know that this, there, there's going to be some carnage through this, you know, epidemic we've, we've gone through. 
I, you know, I, I, I always think about, cause you know, I look at my, my personal self and, you know, playing a long time in the national hockey league and basically living a robotic life. We all knew we were all basically told when to be somewhere, how to dress, you know, you didn't even have to think you were just told what Mm -hmm. to do all the time, all the time. Everything was structured in, in every daily part of our life. Okay. Um, and then all of a sudden the, the light switch goes off. Okay. You retire and now, now you're have to find the next chapter of a very long life. It's very, very, it, 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 it's very scary. Um, some guys financially, um, you know, are, are okay with the situation of, of living a long life, uh, you know, but I want to, I'm, I'm very curious to know, you know, the, the types of issues that you deal with, you know, is, you know, alcoholism, drugs, uh, depression, um, for these, for these former players that, um, you know, what are the issues that you're dealing with? Is that kind of, did I just kind of hit it on the top of the head? You know, no, like- I, I, you, it could be, it's a whole paradigm of things, right? You, you mentioned structure. Yeah. We knew 1030 practice, 12 o'clock meal, one o'clock nap, four o'clock bus, four 30 meeting, five o'clock PK, five 30 PP, get dressed for warm up, right? Six 30 yeah. warm up, seven Oh two, uh, Anthem puck drop. Rinse and repeat, do it again and again and again. So that structure puts you in a stream sometimes without a paddle. So some players need structure, right? Everybody needs purpose. I don't care who you are. You need purpose. Every day you wake up, feet hit the ground, you've got purpose. So for some players, it's finding that purpose, finding the structure, finding the purpose, and then understanding that, you know, when that train leaves the station, your phone's not going to ring. Like we aren't going to go to Harbor 60 and, you know, if I was playing with the Maple Leafs, you're going to kick someone out of that seat and I'm sitting down for dinner. I play with the Maple Leafs. Glenn Healy of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Take that of the Toronto Maple Leafs away. I'm not as exciting as a guy as I was before, right? So there's yeah. that element. It could be anything from immigration, could be financial. Divorces are high in our sport. We're really highly afflicted and the divorce rate is extremely high. So that's, that's a, ch- a challenge as well. So it's a whole gamut. It's, it's uh, not just one size fits all. We have the same life, life issues that your buddies and Petey's buddies have, and you just have to find a way to get through some of them. Because I really believe as players, we deserve to have that great journey. The problem we have is that we have a short career and a long life, and there's a burn rate that's pretty high. And we have a short career and a long life, and we sometimes step into that long life at 30, 32 with no skills. By the time, I mean, I, I retired at 40. I had friends of mine that were working in the hydro for the, we've got a nuclear reactor in Pickering. They were about to retire. I hadn't even started. I didn't know what I was going to do next. And they were already done. They, they put their 20 years in, their 25 years in. So that becomes a challenge too. What's that purpose going to be? When I'm a little bit behind the eight ball, because I've been dancing around arenas for the past 16 years, wouldn't change that for anything. But the next 30, short career, long life, what's that purpose? So I have, fr- I, I, 
I have friends that have been doing, I'm 42 now. I have friends who have been doing the same job for 15, 16 years, whether it's a police officer or whatever, or they own their own business. And I sit there and I look, you've been doing that for 15 years. I just stepped into the real world 11 years ago. I'm, I'm, I'm 11 years old when it comes to real life, because from the time I'm, I was 16 or 15, when I left home, you know, there's tunnel vision. Tunnel vision yeah. is like you said, it's about the rink. It's about hockey. It's about, you know, trying to, to live that experience and that dream as long as you can. And it's like, it can be confusing for players. I, I look and I think your job at the, at the alumni could be so much easier. And I, I don't, I mean, I don't put blame on anybody, but I just think it could be made so much easier if there were, if there were a, a, a few more, um, programs set in place for current players, whether it's, you know, like uh, whether it's a financial thing or a, a life skills thing or, you know, preparing for afterward. And I feel like there, it, it, there were attempts at it, but you know how athletes are in players. They don't get, they don't think about that. I never, I remember the PA saying, Hey, you know, there's like this, uh, this thing, if you want to do it, I'm like, fuck, I'm not going to be doing, I'm still going to be playing in seven years, two years later, I'm out of league. Yeah. You were, you know? your focus was, is he a lefty or a righty? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that's the way it, it will always be, but you know, financial literacy is, is important, right? I mean, fi- in Canada, we're finally teaching financial literacy to our kids. Like I, I love history programs we teach and I love the math and wow. Calculus. That's I'm, I mean, just think of all the calculus we've used in all of our lives. None, zero, <laughs> Couldn't tell you what calculus what was. What do you mean? You haven't been fucking quoting Shakespeare the last 30 yeah, years. I oh mean, come on. Yeah, for fairy on a sunsy face. So <laughs> chieftain of the pudding, right? Oh, no, that's Robbie Burns. Um, no, at the end of the day, like, teach our kids how to get a credit card, how to pay debt. Like, so, uh, and at the current level for players, they're, they're focused. They're just, it's the game. And then, again, you typically, and I only know one player that retired, on his own terms, everybody else, it's either an injury or it's father time, or it's you're, you know what? Uh, you're just not good enough to play. And in today's terms, a lot of it is the economics in the cap world, no room for you under the cap. So, and there's not another league to go to. He used to be able to go to this league called the KHL. Don't really think many players are going to make their way over to the KHL anymore. Right. That's, that's kind of option B is off the charts. Uh, just, recent recent history tells us that so it's it's tough you know you you work for hockey night canada you could go to tsn great you could go to buffalo and be part of the broadcast you could you could go anywhere and still do that craft the nhl it's one job one league and if you're not good enough to play in that league there really isn't another league to go to that's fulfilling so you're right you step into the real world not a lot of skills Short career, long life. What's next? I need purpose. Is is there some kind of um um, and I, I can't thank you enough for your time. I mean, we've been it's been a it's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, it, is there some kind of a, a a plan in place for current players to do something for former players? And I don't mean former players like myself or Craig, um, but I'm talking about guys that are like. 60, 70, 80 years old that are having issue with health insurance in the U S or medical conditions or financial issues that 
that the, you know, that the, that the game, that sports basically, you know, when you're done, they wash their hands with it. It's like, we're, you know, you're done. You've done your job here. It doesn't matter if it's football, baseball, hockey, basketball. I don't care. Is there something in place so that these players that are making more money now than they ever have to do something for those older generation of players that, that paved the way for them? Yeah. And there's stuff that is in place now. I, you know, back in 2004 and five, when there was a lockout, uh, Pat Flatley, myself and Ted Lindsay approached the league and the player association about adding on to the pensions. It's not a pension. It's what we call supplemental gifting, adding on to, uh, the, the guy, the 142 guys that played in the sixties, Alex Del Vecchio, Gordy, Howe, Ted Lindsay, that group of players. And so, you know, we basically doubled their pension. And then, you know, under the guise of Paul Kelly, it got doubled again. And then Don Fear, it's doubled again. And then this year, the league put in another million dollars, which is, you know, in a league that lost a billion four, that's that's a big ask. That now helps 585 players. So there there is a lot of things already in place where they're helping um, alumni, helping players that, let's face it, these are the guys off their sweat equity that built these franchises. We just were at Guy Lafleur's funeral. If you don't think the Montreal Canadiens were built because of the Richards, the Bellabos, and the Lafleurs, you're kidding yourself. And all those players that play for the Montreal Canadiens today, uh, it, it, it's the road that Guy paved and Bellabo paved that they get to drive on. So there should be this pay it forward. And we work every day at that. And I, I think all three sides, the league, player association and the alumni we've all worked really well together to make those changes everything from a transition program with scale to a scholarship program to supplemental gifting and to what we see in the future you know even healthcare we worked on and they listened to a subsidy for players that leave the game today that now get uh, most of their healthcare paid for so my window of guys is pretty small for healthcare because the current guys are going to keep their healthcare Right. 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 Probably everybody on this call didn't keep their health care. It was thirty six thousand dollars a year. That's why we didn't keep it. And if we did, well, you're doing pretty damn good. Yeah, so I didn't keep it. Heels. No, <laughs> I know. Four percent do. So I, I, I did, you're one of the four uh, percent. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that. Riv did, though. I'm pretty sure Riv did. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Rev. He's very, he's very quiet. Yeah, he's, you you can always tell the answers yes when the uh, when the guy's quiet. I, so I, there I, is that that there is that ex, uh, in existence, but it's only going to get bigger and better. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll 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 say this, and I and I mean it when I say it. You know, I couldn't think of a better person to be in your role than you, and okay. and I mean that from my time as a player with you at the play, at the Players Association to just hearing stories about Glenn Healy as a teammate and how, how much you cared for people, uh, you know, your, your teammates, the people that worked in the arenas, the fans. Um, so, I mean, I couldn't think of a, of a better person than Glenn Healy to be in, in the position that you're in. So good on you for, for getting to that spot and, and uh, good on you for trying to make life a lot better for, for a lot of these uh, ex-players who, you know, quite frankly, deserve better for what they did for the game. Yep. No, I'm, I'm with you and you're, you're preaching to the converted. That's for sure. Wow. Yeah. It, it, it's, uh, it's great to hear. And, and, you know, I, I 
I thank you so much for coming on today. I feel like Riv might have had one more question for you. No, I don't have a question. I just have a statement. 90, uh, 98. 98 episodes uh, Andrew and I have done uh, with After the Whistle. Um, and I'm going to tell you this. This is, uh, this is one of my favorite. Um, you know, playing, uh, playing against you and, 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 and watching you before I was in the league and, and watching you uh, as, uh, you know, a, uh, an analyst, which you were absolutely fantastic. Like, Better than anyone know. in the game today. Yes. They all suck. Absolutely awesome. Your personality, everything is infectious and uh, you're doing great things that uh, with the alumni. Um, so, uh, you know, thanks for coming on today. Hills. Anytime. Awesome. Enjoy the playoffs and, yep. uh, we will get some help for your son there. He's, he's clearly lost his way. I can tell you that. Yes. Go Habs. Uh, uh, you, you know what heels? I, I, I think I might've said this before when you're playing for the Islanders, they made a video called, um, uh, it was called fighting back. Yes. And they, they, I don't know if you remember this. I don't know if they gave it to the players, but they gave it to everyone that went to training camp because we had a family friend who went to training camp with the Islanders and he came home with this video and he gave it to us. And we must have watched that a million times, me and my brother, because it was behind the scenes of, of hawking. You were on it a lot. And you were driving in your car and you were talking about all the pranks and the breakfast pranks and stuff where you'd fill out the guy's breakfast sheet. You order like a hundred bucks for the breakfast on the road. I've just, I've just always enjoyed uh, listening to you and, and chatting with you. So yeah. thanks again, man. I can't thank you enough. Well, we've erased all those tapes. I found them all. I bought the last one yesterday, and that's it. Never to be seen again. <laughs> hey, it was, it was a great video. It was a great Keep video. stories. I love it. It's awesome. Uh, thanks, right Heels. On. Thank you very much. That's a wrap on another episode of After the Whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, After the Whistle. And at Craig Reve 52 at the instigator 76. And you can find us as you already know on Apple, Spotify and YouTube and anywhere else where you can get your podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.